This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. So maybe you've wondered, what are some major misconceptions consumers have of agriculture? Or what are some struggles that rural ag communities face? Well, today our guest works with the University of Florida to find just that. Our guest today is Ashton McLeod-Morin. She graduated with a master's degree in agriculture education and communication from UF. And she's now pursuing a PhD in ag communications. Ashley is the communications coordinator for the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Center for Public Issues Education, a.k.a. The Pie Center. So it's a really great talk. We're going to talk about water. We're going to talk about agro-tourism, how farmers and extension agents are trying to work on social media strategies to get followers and consumers engaged. We're also going to talk about something which I've never heard before, but called the rural brain drain. So get ready for that. Get ready for a really cool episode, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley McLeod Morin. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me, Trevor. This is so cool. <laughs> you are very welcome. So you work at the University of Florida's Pi Center. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what the center does? Yeah, absolutely. So a fun story that I like to share whenever um, it's introduced is the Pi Center. So um, the building that we're on in campus, um, it's actually in the astronomy building. And so we get a lot of really confused people. And the sign outside of our door says the Pi Center. And we have literally had students come in and be like, so do you guys have pie down here? Like, what's going on? <laughs> uh, we actually don't bake pies, unfortunately. But um, yeah, we're the Center for Public Issues Education in Agriculture and Natural Resources. So we really focus on the research and then building educational programs um, in ag and natural resources. So that looks like a variety of things. Um, and we really, through all the things that we do, we really want to enable the public as well as policymakers to be able to make more informed decisions about food and agriculture. 
So we focus specifically our research projects um, in water and natural resources, communities and organizations related to agriculture and rural communities, and then food and agriculture. So, of course, all those things are really broad, um, and it sounds like it just kind of covers everything. In the past, we've really focused on research that um, helps conserve water, both um, in an urban and rural type of community. So what we can do to better conserve water, what, um, what are the perceptions of water use, um, both in, in urban and farming communities. And then looking at, what if we're looking at organizations and communities, how can we better um, agricultural organizations to communicate with their constituents? Um, how can we better build communities to, to face disasters? So we have, um, we work with a faculty member in the Family, Youth, and Community Sciences Department, um, Dr. Angie Lindsay, and she works a lot in extension to be able to help prepare communities um, specifically to face hurricanes, things like that. Um, and then food and agriculture. So how can we better market um, the agriculture industry and specific food commodities? So that's a long explanation. Like I said, we cover a lot, um, but we do some really fun stuff. We get to connect with a lot of people um, and, and share a lot of information in the process. It sounds like you guys have like a very broad range of things that you cover in the ag industry. Um, what You're talking about perceptions of water. What do consumers kind of generally perceive as agriculturalists, how they use water? What are some perceptions you guys have found? Yeah, so we've, we've done a lot of research in the past with this. Um, in the past, we've worked with um, specifically some social scientists, um, like you said, looking at the perceptions, but then also partnering with um, scientists and researchers in applied sciences, so in ag and biological engineering departments like that, to, to look at specific mechanisms that and, and what people perceive about those mechanisms. From an agricultural side, you know, a lot of agriculturists really are willing to to pay the money to implement these these mechanisms that can help save water and and help their farms better conserve um, this precious resource. And then looking at it from an urban side, um, a lot of urban constituents aren't really aware of what they can do or, or things that they are are probably doing that mostly pollutes the water supply. So of course we all know that. Um, Agriculture kind of gets a bad rap for, for being the, the industry that pollutes our water supply. We kind of like to, to point out that it's it's not just an agricultural issue, that urban residents are doing a lot of things too. So even just simple things like um, picking up your lawn clippings, um, cleaning up after your dog, those are some big things um, that urban residents can do to, to better save the water as far as not polluting it. So, so we've looked at a lot of things like that. Um, and, and then what we do with that information. So of course, yeah, it's nice to know what people think, but what is that going to do if you don't do anything with it? So based on what we find, um, through people's perceptions, then we build, um, educational programs, communication content, things like that. Um, and we really try to connect, um, people in the agricultural industry. So mostly extension agents with people to then better inform them with those resources. So, Hey, we're aware that these are your perceptions and here's how we can combat those perceptions or, or here's how we can better inform you based on what you already think. Talking about that water thing, it's funny, you're, you're mentioning that a lot of people in the ag industry get a lot of negative press about that, that we're damaging the water. But it's funny because a lot of times you hear that from people that will leave their sprinkler systems running 12 o'clock in the middle of the day where it's just running off and it's all evaporating and they're like, oh, that's fine, but agriculture is hurting my water. Exactly. Yeah, it goes, it goes both ways for sure. And I think that um, there's no doubt the agricultural industry um, definitely takes responsibility where it's due, um, but but I think it's also important to to realize that it goes both ways. So then both both sides can can work together to improve the problem because obviously everyone needs water. Um, no one wants water to go away anytime soon. 
Um, and so I think that just building a better partnership is really important. So you talked about that you guys kind of inform extension agents how to inform producers about the perceptions. What are some examples you could give us about what exactly those producers are doing to better inform their consumers to help those negative perceptions that they're getting? Yeah, I think one of the the best ways that um, extension workers are connecting with producers and then producers are connecting with consumers is the, the broad view of agritourism. I am a, a a huge fan of agritourism. I think it it's a great movement that we're seeing a lot more um, in Florida and in Florida agriculture. So I think that a lot of people who have a disconnect with agriculture, it's it's obviously because it's something that they've never seen before, they've never experienced before. Um, but agritourism agritourism is providing the opportunity to you know bring people out to to their farms um, in a really low risk environment, um, exposing them to things that they're not going to see. And, and the people are really walking away with um, a much more positive perception of agriculture there. Um, they're going to blueberry fields to, to hang out with their friends, to take cool pictures, things like that. Um, and that's something that I think was a huge disconnect when we look at even three to five years ago, um, even in just recent history. So, so I think that then extension workers are, um, or extension agents are better informing producers how they can um, be more profitable through agritourism, but then also just provide um, a better experience for for people that are visiting those agritourism operations. And so this is actually something that we've looked at in the Pi Center. So um, what are some recommendations that we can make to um, agritourism operators to um, to provide a better experience and, and looking at what people perceive whenever they visit an agritourism operation, what are some things they want, how are they finding these agritourism operations, um, the whole gamut of things. And so I think that's probably the best example on a large scale of, of how producers are better informing the public. And, and I'm just really excited to kind of see that industry grow. Yeah, that's super cool. That's something I don't think a lot of consumers are aware of agritourism. When they hear it, they're like, wait a minute, you mean I can actually go to a farm, see what's happening? And they're like, farmers are like, yeah, absolutely. We do it all the time. So I think that's a very good point. Like it's something that's very underutilized and it's something that consumers can see firsthand what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's funny because I think that agritourism is kind of that sneaky industry because I know it, being in Gainesville, you see all of these these college girls and, and guys and they're going to these fields, like I said, to take cool pictures and, and they're not even realizing that they're actually experiencing agriculture, that um, they think they're just looking for a good photo backdrop. Um, so, so yeah, I think agritourism is one of those sneaky industries. <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to up their Insta game. And kind of going off of that, have you seen like a have you seen a rise uh, of social media use for producers? They're like, oh, let's use Instagram, let's use Facebook, let's use Twitter to kind of get our information out there. Have you seen a resurgence in that in the past couple of years? Yeah, I definitely have. And we've also definitely seen a need to um, better prepare those producers to use those tools. I think that one of the really cool things about the agriculture industry is that farmers and producers really want to connect consumers with information. And so what I'm seeing is they're trying to meet consumers where they already are. And that's a really important aspect in communication um, is, is meeting your audience, not trying to pull your audience where you are. Um, and so farmers and producers are realizing how important social media is. And of course we know the average age of a farmer is getting older and older. And so social media isn't first nature to them. And so they're really trying to learn how they can most effectively use social media. Um, what are the best platforms to use? Um, all sorts of different practices that, that we're getting a lot of questions about. And so one thing that we try to do at the Pi Center is provide professional development opportunities 
for both producers and extension agents because a lot of times these extension agents are getting questions from farmers and producers about social media. And so we want to best prepare those extension agents to answer questions like that. Um, and so that's one of the more exciting parts of my job is to be able to, to provide some helpful tips um, and just some lessons that I've learned along the way. That's so cool. What, what would you say would be your top, I'll say three, your top three tips to producers that are trying to up their social media presence? So definitely posting often um, mm -hmm. is a great tip. And so a lot of times, you know, we, we might make a Facebook page or even an Instagram account and we'll, we'll be really excited when we first create that account. We'll post a few different things at first and then it kind of trails off. Um, so just making sure that you consistently use your social media accounts. Um, and then video content. We know that video content is king um, on social media platforms, especially Facebook. Um, and so in this day and age, you know, we all have iPhones. We all have video capabilities. It doesn't have to be this super overproduced, um, crazy video. Just something um, that you can shoot on your iPhone really easily and then post on Facebook just to give them that visual view of, of your farm or your day-to-day -day activities on your farm. Um, people really love seeing that. And so I always suggest utilizing video content, um, especially live video content. People love vi live video content even more um, than posting videos. And then if you're not quite ready to, to go off the deep end um, in exploring with, with videos, then I definitely, my third tip would be to incorporate photos as much as you can on your social media content. So people just love that visual aspect and they they want to hear what you're saying. So, you know, a nice caption, nice description is always really helpful. But more importantly, they want to see what you're doing. They want to see what you're talking about. Um, so those would be my top three tips. Gotcha. Those are awesome tips. Yeah, they always say pictures with a thousand words. So if you post every day or if you post often of your operation, I bet they're like, oh, look at this cute, cute little cow. We got to go to this dairy and see it. And then I guess, boom, that could lead to agrotourism. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's transition a little bit. I know you, you've mentioned that you're very passionate about rural communities and they face. So tell us about the wonderful place where you are from. I am from Laurel Hill, Florida. And it to me, moving off to college and um, going to the University of Florida, moving to Gainesville, um, you know, that's a question that you're always asked. So, okay, Ashley, <laughs> I see where are you from? Um, and so I always have to preface where the heck is Laurel Hill at? So um, we are in the north end of Okaloosa County, which is the third county coming in um, on the state of Florida um, in, in northwest Florida. And so I'm about 30 minutes north of Destin. That's the town that, that everyone knows about and vacations to. Um, but my family actually um, lives on my family's farm that was originally my great grandfather's. And we're about 10 minutes from the Alabama state line. Um, so it's a really awesome community that I really love. Um, and now, after graduating from college, I actually live in Tampa, which seems like a, a whole other world compared to, to Laurel Hill. But I love to visit often. Um, like I said, my family still lives there. Um, and so it's, it's just a really great place to call home. Um, and it is, I think, the, the perfect definition of a rural community to where um, all through high school, all we had was was a K through 12 high school, so um, and there was only 430 students there, and then we had a Tom Thumb, and that was it. And then right before I graduated, we actually got a dollar store, and we were like, "Man, we are moving up in the world now." <laughs> Man, a dollar store. Next thing is a Walmart, and then you guys will be on the map. Yeah, I don't even know if we can contain excitement for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. So. 
what are some what are some issues that you kind of saw Laurel Hill and you see other rural communities have at least ag wise? So it's funny that that you brought this up because this is something that lately I've just kind of went in a rabbit hole over. Um, just thinking about rural communities and the different challenges that rural communities have, um, both in and outside of the agricultural industry. And it wasn't really something that, that I noticed before. Um, and I think you might be similar, Trevor, but growing up in a rural community, you just kind of think that this is normal. Like, you know that there are bigger cities out there, um, but you think that, well, every most towns have got to be like this. Um, and so then you realize that's not true. Um, and so, like I said, something I've really gotten interested in lately, and I think from an agricultural aspect, I see that there's there's much more of a difficulty connecting um, rural communities, rural farmers, rural producers with all of the resources that we have available um, in the agricultural industry. And so it's not that those communities are forgotten, um, but they're definitely just um, not really in the forefront the same way that some of the larger agricultural communities are. Um, and so I know that this is something that you probably experienced after Hurricane Michael, um, but just even seeing how the comparison between how resources were provided after Hurricane Irma and then Hurricane Michael um, was, was very different. And, and I know that I've questioned whether that was the location of where the hurricane hit um, and, and then all the rural communities that were impacted there. Um, so I think that's one thing looking at from an agricultural aspect, you know, we, we typically have less extension agents in rural areas um, just because the capacity is a lot different. Um, and then I know that there are some really hardworking extension agents in Okaloosa County where I'm from, um, and they do an amazing job of, of connecting with, with farmers and producers. But, but I'm sure they're also really overworked and, and they have a lot of people to connect with and they stay super busy like all extension agents around the state. Um, but then looking at it from, from a different aspect, something that, that I've really been trying to dive into lately is, is the idea of the rural brain drain. So it seems to me, like every time I open up my Facebook account, I'm seeing articles about the rural brain drain. So if you haven't heard about this before, I recommend um, all your listeners to, to just kind of research this a little bit because it's really interesting, especially if you're interested in, in the whole rural aspect of things. But um, and I think that I'm a perfect example of this to where I grew up in a rural community. I loved it. I loved the people there. Um, and then when I graduated high school, I wanted to go off to college. So, um, so I went to the University of Florida and I always um, expected to move back to Laurel Hill. But then I realized when I was in college that there really wasn't any jobs in Laurel Hill or even in the, the immediate surrounding area um, that I could do. Um, or that, that was fit for what I was going to college for. So, so I didn't move back. Um, and, and instead, I, I kept pursuing college. And um, I decided to get a graduate degree. And I was just, I felt like I was getting further and further away from the idea of, of going back to, to my small town. Um, and this is actually something that I thought was a personal thing. But it's something that's happening all across the country. So you have these students um, who are having more and more aspirations of going off to college. Um, doing really cool things, learning some awesome stuff, um, but then not really feeling like they can come back to their community. So instead of bringing back all of the knowledge that they're getting and, and learning about, um, they're actually staying in those larger cities um, or moving to different cities other than their small town. So, so it's really interesting, um, and, and it kind of begs the question of, of how capacity can be built in those rural communities 
um, both, you know, on a business side and infrastructure side, but then also on an agricultural side. How can how can we better um, better prepare producers for for all the challenges that we're going to continue to face in the future? So so yeah, it's really interesting. Like I said, it's a, a rabbit hole that I'm going down, and, and I want to encourage all of you to go down the same rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's extremely fascinating. I haven't heard about that because I mean the same thing happened to me growing up in Bluntstown. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna move back here, work and retire. But once I moved to Gainesville as well, I was like, there's so much more to do here. There's so many more job opportunities. And yeah, it's crazy for those rural communities because it's not their fault. They just don't have as many resources or as many opportunities job-wise. So I never thought about it being a brain drain because those recent graduates aren't going back to those rural communities and they're not helping the workforce and they're not even probably helping the ag industry. So that's extremely fascinating. And I'm definitely not... um you know, discouraging the the whole going to college and, and going after successful jobs. Um, because I mean, it's something that, that worked out for me. And it was just something that, um, that, you know, I had to realize, okay, this is this is the next step in life. And this is what I want to do right now. And it's not to say that I would never move back home. So I definitely don't want um, to discourage that whole thought. But but then just thinking about how can those communities further motivate um, people to move back. So um, one article that I recently saw was, I believe it was a, a school or a community in Washington state that it was a, kind of a similar aspect. There was all these rural students, and I think every single one of them from the senior class got accepted to to a college. They went to college, but then almost 90% of those students ended up moving back um, because they wanted to, to better build the community. And in doing so, they were able to build lots of different infrastructure. So I know some things that were mentioned in the article was like a park community garden, things like that, um, and that they had already seen a difference in that town um, by doing so. And just just kind of thinking about what can um, rural students do after college um, and then what those communities can do to, to encourage those students to move back, I think it's just something really cool to think about. And, and I've got to plug this real quick about Laurel Hill. I remember like right after I met you in high school, <laughs> I was on Yahoo for some reason, and it was like the 10 most rare um mascot names and laurel hill was number one with the hobo they're like there was only one school in the country that is called the hobos i was like well hey laurel hill represent yes we are the home of the hobos so um (laughs) really cool story that goes behind that maybe not really cool but i'll tell you anyway um so laurel hill actually used to be a booming town um we had a train depot that that went through laurel hill and um especially you know in the older days the hobos <laughs> um, congregated around the train depots, and that's how they kind of moved from place to place by hitching a ride on the trains. So I don't know why they thought it was a great idea, but they were like, oh, I guess the only thing we're known for is having hobos in town. Um, so so we're named after the hobos. And we don't have a football team at Laurel Hill, but we do have um, basketball and other sports. But um, our local pastor always dresses up as a hobo and attends the basketball games. So he's our mascot. And I think it's just another example of, of how awesome um, my hometown is and just something really unique that you are not going to find in any other town in the entire country. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's so neat. I mean, the, uh, the Bluntstown Tigers, I've yet to see a Bengal tiger in Bluntstown, and I don't think we ever will. But that's so cool. It's something unique for your little town. I like that. Uh, well, actually, this has been super fascinating to talk to you about um, about water, agritourism, rural community issues. If people want to learn more about the Pi Center, get in t- contact with you guys, where can they go? I would first suggest going to piecenter.com. 
um, we have so many different resources and information about all the topics that we've talked about today and then much, much more. We, we have so many resources on our website. Um, one thing that I really love is our issue guides. So after we do any research project or we find um, any research findings that are really fascinating, we kind of put them into an issue guide that we hope are really easy to understand um, and kind of break down all the complex um, findings and um, things that have come from our research um, to be able to provide to, to broad audiences. So checking out our issue guides might kind of help you understand some of these issues that you want to learn about a little bit more. Um, you can also find the Pi Center on Facebook and Instagram um, under the Pi Center. We're always posting some really cool content, really great information. And so, yeah, come there, come hang out with us. Um, and, and I would love to answer any questions that, that your listeners might have or to be able to connect you with some people um, that could get you some more information. We work with, with a variety of different researchers and, and producers and farmers. So anything that we can do to, to connect those audiences, I would, I would love to play a hand in that. Well, Ashley, we'll be sure to link those below, and thank you for being on the podcast. Thanks, Trevor. Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films, download the app, and watch and listen anywhere.